Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you here. I don't know if anyone in the room is like me, but um, has allergies hit anybody sitting out there yet? All right, I think, I think that's a yes. Um, so they, they hit me a few days ago, and so I brought some water up here. Just I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and we'll begin reading there in just a moment. So I'll begin a series today called For the Church. For the church. And over the next weeks, what we're going to be focusing on is words that are written within Scripture that the Holy Spirit of God inspired to be in His Holy Word. And those words are for the church. So over the next few weeks, what we're really going to be focusing on is instructions, things that we as the body of Christ, First Baptist Belton, so we're going to be in some family talk, okay, over the next few weeks. The words in God's holy scriptures that are for us, for the church. There's a lot of them. And so we're going to be talking about elders. We're going to be talking about deacons. We're going to be talking about being the body of Christ, loving the body of Christ, equipping the body of Christ, discipleship in the body. And so all of these things are within God's holy word and they're written for us to instruct us, to guide us, to direct us as a body of Christ. And so over the next few weeks, as we're in this series for the church, it's family. And I'm talking specifically about First Baptist Belton. If you're a member, a covenant member of First Baptist Belton, that's what we're going to be focusing on over the next few weeks. Today, my title of my sermon is For the Church, Shepherding the people of God, shepherding the people of God. And so we're going to be talking specifically about elders, and I will also be using the word pastors or ministers or overseers, because in the word, those specific words, elder, overseer, pastor, those are all used synonymously. But I'm speaking specifically today about shepherding the people of God. It's important And you've probably can recall some of these, the importance we give to farewell speeches. Maybe someone's about to leave town and you might never see them again and you hang on to their final words to you. Maybe you can recall a family member who passed from this life and you remember their farewell words to you. Such words often sum up the significance of one's life, why they, why they were living, what they were living for, what they valued most. Maybe some of them are the wisdom that they want to impart. Today in our text, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is actually giving his farewell speech to the Ephesian elders. Paul spent three years investing in this church. And so the relationships go deep. You'll notice that in the text here in a moment as they accompany Paul to the ship. Paul is about to leave for Jerusalem and will not return and they will not see him again. And so as they accompany him to the ship and as they hear his final words, there's weeping and embracing. 
he imparts some final words, words that he wants seared on these elders' minds. Look with me in Acts chapter 20, verse 25. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping, On the part of all, they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So these are words spoken to elders, the Ephesian elders. But I want us to, before we jump into the text, I want to make it very clear that just because you might not be an elder in this church or a pastor or minister within this body of believers, that doesn't mean you should tune out. Paul's words may be to elders, but the Spirit of God has written them within His holy word for the church. And so these are words for us as we seek a new pastor. As we nominate and elect and affirm elders and call ministers within this body of believers. Your role relates to godly elders in multiple ways. According to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, it shows how you should recognize and appoint elders and pastors who fit certain qualifications. In Titus 1, some of those qualifications, an overseer as God's steward, must be above reproach. Not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not a drunkard, not violent, not greedy for gain. They need to be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. An overseer, an elder, must be hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that they can give instruction and sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. 1 Timothy chapter 3. If anyone is a pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household, 
He must be a, not be a recent convert. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And so these, these words help us recognize the qualifications, what an elder and a pastor should be. These words help us as a church discern which men ought to pastor, which men need further maturity, and which men to avoid. These words also equip you to hold you, to equip you to hold your elders and pastors accountable. They call our attention to what sort of leadership honors Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 7 says this, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Insofar as elders and pastors imitate Jesus Christ, the church should imitate them. These words develop Christ-like qualities for you to imitate as your elders and pastors learn them and lean into them themselves. They develop attitudes toward the church that all of us should have, not just the elders and the pastors. Also, these words are important because they help you pray for your elders and pastors. They need you to pray these things for them. They need your prayers. The shepherds of this church need you to ask God to make things lives in their hearts and evident in their leadership over you. Finally, these are words that the Spirit may use to ready some of you for this kind of leadership within this body or in another church. So these words are important for all of us, not just our elders and pastors within this church. So to the elders, these words are spoken by Paul to the Ephesian elders, but they're for the church. So with that said, let's jump into the text. And I, wanna, I want you to keep your Bibles open because we're going to be looking at it periodically throughout this. I want you to notice, I want you to notice, and it's very important, how Paul teaches them the purpose of God. This is in verse 25 and 27 through 27. He says, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. And then in verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So what is that exactly? What is Paul referring to within those verses? In the immediate context, we find some clues. Let's work ourselves backwards. In verse 25, he uses the words, the kingdom. In verse 24, he says, the gospel of the grace of God. In verse 21, he uses repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, then if we broaden our search to the way Luke uses these same words, the same, the same context elsewhere within his writings, we begin to unfold it even more. You can see in Acts 2.23 and Acts 4.28 that it refers to God's scripture and accomplished in Christ Jesus. Jesus was 
the, the text tells us in Acts 2.23 and Acts 4.28 that Jesus was delivered over according to God's predetermined purpose. Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Jews were allowed to do to Jesus whatever God's hand and God's purpose predestined to take place. Paul, he uses these same words, this same sentiment in Ephesians 1.11, speaking about those in Christ, that we were made an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of God's will. So here's what we're talking about. Here's what Paul is talking about with the Ephesian elders. He's saying that God has this unwavering, predetermined purpose for his kingdom to redeem the world. And God reveals this purpose in scripture and accomplishes it through his son, Jesus. And this is the purpose that Paul declares to the elders. The scripture tells us in Acts 20, for three years, he taught them this. He taught them God's purpose in Christ. If you want to know exactly what he taught them, then you can read Ephesians. It's in his letter, and it speaks of this same language. He even depicts, later on within the text, he depicts his faithfulness to teaching the whole counsel of God by recalling Ezekiel 33. This is when he talks about the blood and not guilty because he proclaimed the kingdom of God. Ezekiel was God's watchman. A watchman would scan the horizon to see and warn of people, warn the people of any danger that was looming. Likewise, Ezekiel was responsible to warn Israel of God's coming judgment. That was God's purpose. And so if Ezekiel kept quiet, he was responsible for their blood. But if he was faithful to warn them, they were responsible. And so in our text here in Acts 20, Paul warns these Ephesian elders. He draws from that Old Testament imagery saying, I'm innocent of the blood of all. Because I've declared to you the whole counsel of God. Now what makes the imagery from Ezekiel 33 more powerful is that, is that God condemns Israel's false shepherds. Unlike the false shepherds who did not announce God's purpose, Ezekiel was faithful to do so. He did warn the people as their watchman. So similarly in our text in Acts, Paul is faithful to do so. And what he's telling these elders is when you go back to Ephesus, if you choose to do nothing with my teaching, if you choose to ignore God's purpose in Christ, If you choose to keep quiet and not proclaim the gospel and call people to repentance and faith in Christ, or you tweak his truth of salvation by faith in Christ alone, or you use his purpose to promote your own agenda or or be held in some honor, you will stand guilty before God. But Paul is innocent. He was a faithful steward of the message of God. So now, like Paul, these elders must be faithful to declare the gospel of God and to spend their lives for it within the body of Christ. And so the question is, what does that look like? When these men return home to Ephesus, how should they shepherd the people of God? 
What will faithful leadership look like for these men? The first thing that I want you to notice is that the church needs attentive and careful shepherding. The church needs attentive and careful shepherding. Notice in verse 28 in Acts 20. Notice in verse 28 the imagery of shepherding. He compares the church to a flock. The verb the ESV translate to care for literally means to shepherd. To shepherd. So, so the question you might ask, why describe the role of an... This is the imagery that God uses to depict His care for His people. Let me give you a few examples. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. In John 10, 15, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep. In Isaiah 40, 11, the Lord says, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom. Revelation 7, 17, the lamb in the midst of the throne guides his flock to springs of living water. So by comparing elders and pastors to shepherds, the Bible is saying that elders must image the true shepherd. They must image the true shepherd. Now you know that the problem with many human shepherds in scripture is that they don't image the Lord's care very well. In Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34, the shepherds over Israel were cursed by the Lord for not reflecting His care. Now here's what I want our elders and our pastors and you as the, as the body to understand. Poor shepherding. Poor shepherding is evil. It's evil because it distorts the truth about God and His care for His people. And so faithful shepherding pays careful attention to oneself and to all the flock. Look back and it's in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So elders and and pastors... They're to pay careful attention to themselves and to the flock. And here's what it means to pay careful attention to yourself. It's meaning that elders should stay alert of their own spiritual growth and walk with Jesus and pursue Jesus and know Him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Dig into the Word. Know the Word. Memorize the Scripture. Pray. Spiritually disciplined. Your elders and pastors should look after their own walk with Christ and they should be godly men. They should look after oneself. And then it says this, and to all the flock. And while they pursue Christ with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, they don't need to fall asleep when they're supposed to be watching. Don't jeopardize folly and apathy. They need to remain vigilant in care for who? What's the scripture say? For all the flock. Who are they? Where are they? Are any within our flock in danger? Are any malnourished? Is our flock healthy? 
What do they need to hear from the Lord? Are any on the fringes in danger of wolves? They're responsible for giving careful attention to the flock. Pay careful attention, he says, to all the flock. Not just some of the flock. Not just the sheep and the flock that you like more than the others. But all the flock. So First Baptist Belton, you need shepherds. You need to call a pastor, future ministers. You need to nominate and elect elders that know, feed, protect, and guide you. This is for you. This is for you. Elders and pastors and ministers, this church needs you careful in your shepherding of them. Know the flock well and image God's concern for them. Secondly, the church needs shepherds called and led by the Spirit. The church needs shepherds called and led by the Spirit. Look back at your text, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit makes pastors and elders. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives them churches. Seminaries, although good, I've been there. They do not make pastors. There have been many men that have been elders and pastors that have gone to seminary and have not been good shepherds. Although important, experience, age, just being a good teacher does not make a pastor. You can have someone with a lot of experience or very little experience, and they can be a great shepherd. You can have, likewise, someone with great experience that's a lousy shepherd. It is the Holy Spirit of God that makes and builds and supplies pastors. Elders and pastors are not men simply volunteering to fill up a leadership vacuum. That is not their call. You should, as a church, nominate and elect elders and call pastors that are filled with the Spirit and driven by the Spirit. You need that. That is for the church. Men who are called and led by the Spirit of God. Your elders and pastors must be these kind of men. Again, I call you to read 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. It gives what those kind of men look like as they are led by the Spirit. Your elders and pastors should be men who are filled with the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you go back to verse 28, to yourself, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Here's why. 
we've already talked about it, to care for the church of God. Why do you need pastors and elders that are led and called by the Spirit? Because they care for the flock. Why does God give the church elders and pastors to care for His people through them? But notice in that passage to whom the church belongs. He says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of who? God. This is who the church belongs to. Christ is our head. God, this is God's church. Church, you are God's people. Once you were not God's people, you were far off, you were cut off from God, separated from God by your sin. You were not welcomed into the assembly to God. How did that happen? The scriptures tell us. How can guilty people belong to God's assembly? The end of verse 28 says it. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood with his own blood God obtains the church with the blood of his only begotten son Jesus brothers and sisters this is how precious the church is to God and this is exactly why you need men that are pastors and elders that are called and led by the spirit God did not spare His only Son, but gave Him up freely for us all. And this is how precious the sheep are to the Father, and that's how precious the sheep should be to your elders and pastors. This is why they are to care for the church of God, because the church is obtained by the blood of Jesus. But let me also say this. This is how precious you ought to be to one another. This is how you should view your brothers and sisters. No matter the annoyances or stubbornness or weaknesses or relational incompatibility, I know we don't have any of that in this church. No matter how young or old, male or female, whoever you are, if you belong to God, you were bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And each one of you, is significant and important. The precious blood of Jesus and each person in Christ should be precious to you. Thirdly, admonishment in the word of God's grace from its shepherds. The church needs admonishment in the word of God's grace from its shepherds. Look at verse 29 in your, in your passage. Any shepherd knows that where there are sheep, there will also be wolves. He says in verse 29, I know. So here's a shepherd that knows this. He understands his flock. He he knows this. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Not sparing the flock. They're brutal. They seek to destroy. And he knows this. 
And he says, and from among your own cells, people within the own body, even with maybe even within the group, they're going to arise and speak twisted things to draw away the disciples. So the wolves are false teachers here. They don't care about the flock of God. They care about themselves. They care about distorting the truth of God's word. They lie. They're deceitful. They cared absolutely nothing about God's people or his word. Now, Paul's warning couldn't be more relevant, could it? We live in a day rampant with false teaching. Jesus and the apostles warned us of this. 2 Peter 2.1 speaks of them secretly bringing in destructive heresies. 1 Timothy 6, 4 through 5 speaks of them having an unhealthy craving for controversy. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Jude says that they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Second Peter 2.14, they have hearts trained in greed. So heresy, false time. It has happened since the inception of the church. Teachers, preachers, pastors, elders lying about suffering. Turning Jesus into a means of selfish gain. That if you just have enough faith, you won't suffer. I guess the martyrs didn't have enough faith. Others teaching that salvation comes by faith in Jesus plus something else. Trust in Christ, but you also need to have good works. Trust in Christ, but you also need to do this or that or this. Others warping the grace of God by denying, uh, by denying its power to create holiness in God's people. Another one that plagues many churches is moralistic therapeutic deism, which is the idea that it's reduced Christianity to a list of rules, meeting felt needs, and really unclear or vague God talk. More subtle within the church are views that blend the gospel with a certain political ideology. And the list could go on and on and on. False teaching has plagued the church from its inception. So how does a church survive? How does the church, what what protects the sheep in the face of so many wolves? You can see that in the text. First, he commends them to God. God will be the one who protects. God will be the one who pulls them through. The church will endure. The flock will survive by God's doing. But God also uses elders and pastors to steadily admonish the church in the word of God's grace. Faithful elders, faithful pastors must carefully study the scripture. They must carefully feed it to the body of Christ, to the church. Paul says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. Night or day, that means all the time. He admonished them all the time with tears. He admonished them. Not just this take it or leave it kind of attitude, but with his own tears. He's weeping for them. 
And as he instructs them, he, he weeps over them. Don't go there, brother. Hold to Christ, sister. Don't believe that lie. Here's the truth that's found in Christ. He pleads with them. He admonishes them with the Word of God. Look at verse 32. I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And so the Word builds up the church to maturity and for eternity. So elders and pastors, they preach the Word They teach the Word. They emphasize the Word. Because they long for you to grow into Christ. To know Jesus. And to obtain glory with Jesus. And so God has created and designed elders and pastors to to be His means of protecting you from wolves and building you up for glory. All of this by His Word through the Scripture. So brothers and sisters, when you hear your elders and your pastors preaching, teaching, as they keep returning to the Word, as you watch them open their Bibles, as you read as you read them quoting Scripture in maybe a text message or an email, as you receive counsel from them rooted in Scripture, please know... It's because the Word is going to make you more like Jesus. Don't brush it off. Cherish their labor of love and instruction in the Word of God's grace. Elders, pastors, ministers, we need to point our people constantly to the Scriptures and to the Word of God. Finally, the church needs shepherds filled with joy and generosity. The church shepherds filled with joy and generosity. One of the great ways that elders and pastors um, exhibit godly love of Jesus Christ and the ministry with no thought for what they can gain out of it. Their gain is Christ. When all things are right before him and you're the kind of man you ought to be, God supplies what's needed. God will take care of it. You see in verse 33, what does Paul say? He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. 1 Timothy 3.3 says that an overseer must not be a lover of money. Titus 1.7 says that he must not be greedy for gain. Now, on occasion, Paul did receive gifts from other churches, and that allowed and gave him extra support and freed him to teach the word full time. But his normal habit was working hard to support himself. He did this for several reasons. Let me give them to you real quick. First, he did it to image Christ and setting aside his right to receive payment in order to serve others the gospel free of charge. Paul worked hard so as not to burden anyone and to discourage idleness. Some of that comes out here as well in our text. He not only supported himself, but he worked hard to meet the needs of his fellow workers. In verse 35 of our text, we get this further motive. He says this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And these are the words of Jesus. So here's, here's where, here's where this fits in of being an elder pastor. It produces further joy, further satisfaction in Jesus 
to give. The goal of working hard isn't just to have wealth, but to use wealth in ways that image Jesus' generosity. And when that's your compass for wealth, two things happen. Joy in Christ increases and the glory of the gospel shines. This Psalm 8, their abundance of joy in Jesus overflows in wealth of generosity. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. We were wretched, poor, blind, without hope in our sins, and without hope for salvation. But Christ chose to love us by giving up riches to see us glad, healed, and clothed in his righteousness. And when your joy is in that, when your joy is in the gospel, when you see how poor you were and now how rich you are in Christ, you can't help to give. So not just for our elders and pastors, but for all of us as a church, generosity is an overflow of your understanding of the gospel. Generosity is an overflow of your understanding of the gospel. But here in our text specifically, when elders live by Paul's words, they provide an example to the body, to the congregation, not to set their hope on things of this world. We sang about it. But to set their gaze, their focus on Christ and eternity, eternal things. They provide an example to the congregation not to set their hope in earthly riches or in any gain in this world. And said their lives teach the church to set their hope in Christ alone. To pursue your joy in his lordship, not in how much money you have in your bank account. To pursue your happiness in imaging His generosity toward you in once poor. But now you're rich in Christ. As we close, I want to do something a little different as we've been talking about elders and pastors. I want to invite um, the elders that are serving this year um, to please come forward and to stand here in front of the church. If you're an active elder, please come forward. If you're an elder, have been a elder in, in recent years, and but you're not an active elder at the moment, I would ask you to just please stand. I think there might be some within our... I know we were unable to make it this morning. Church, these men before you are your elders. They'll be serving you, shepherding you, guiding you, feeding you, seeking to know you as your shepherds this next year. And Paul's words here in Acts are two elders, but they're for the church. The Holy Spirit placed them in His holy word for us, the church. This church, First Baptist Belton, needs healthy vibrant, strong elders and pastors who are called and led by the Spirit to attentively shepherd and guide this church 
Men that are filled with joy and generosity in the gospel, not this world. This is what faithful leadership and what your elders, pastors and ministers are to be and do for the glory of God and for your joy. These are words that we should cherish. These are also words from God's holy word. These are His words that these should be some things we praise men. And I want us to take a moment before we sing our song of invitation to pray for these things. We should do this daily in your time with the Lord. These are also things that will hold accountable these truths and to pursue them alongside them. I ask you to commit yourselves to pass these words along to the next generation because God's Word stands true. You might appoint men, pastors through the years that whom the care of the Good Shepherd Himself might be recognized, cherished, and adored. So let's take a few moments as we enter into a time of invitation to pray these things for our elders in this service. And then I'll close us and we'll stand and sing our song of invitation. Let's pray. As a community, First Baptist Belton exists for the purpose of knowing Jesus intimately, serving Jesus passionately, and sharing Jesus globally. Come join us on Sunday for our traditional worship service at 8.30 or our contemporary service at 11 and for Bible study at 9.45. We hope today's message encourages and strengthens your faith in God.